Make an exhaustive list of everything you might do and do the last thing on the list. I feel like if you actually made an exhaustive list of everything that you might do. <laughs> I think I've been making that list my entire life. It's a giant pile of notebooks that just keeps expanding. You've paid down into the debt of that oblique strategy. I just haven't reached the end. Okay, well, if that ever happens, I, I fear for you, my friend. I guess the last thing to do is to die. <laughs> Welcome to Experimental Garden Group, a podcast about our DAO, where we invest with our friends. My name is Marcus Estes, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Merrill. And today we are peeling back the cover over three letters that have probably been over-discussed on every other podcast in the land, and yet we got to do it. NFT episode today. Red alert. Get all your hot takes loaded up, Mike. I don't have a lot of hot takes. I'm a skeptic. Well, we can discuss that for sure. This is really the archetype of our conversations about this stuff. We pick some almost polar position and go. Well, I'm biased as a publicly traded person in a non-blockchain setting. I sell shares in myself. I'm used to this idea of a, of a fractional community that works to help me make decisions. So the idea of the NFT has taken me a while to kind of like wrap my head around. Do you remember your first encounter with an NFT? It was a very, it was almost a proto NFT. Oh, I do. Bookcoin. Bookcoin, baby. Let's break this down. It's kind of a good way of getting into what this is. You were excited about this new technology built on top of Bitcoin called colored coins. And the idea was that you could somehow add some data to a piece of Bitcoin to make it unique, to give it a quote unquote a color. And that this would somehow represent something else in the world. I was never that excited, in hindsight, not excited enough about Bitcoin itself. But the moment that I saw that you could use little fragments of Bitcoin to just run your own sense of ownership and ledger, Bitcoin was taking it to a very kind of comically indie place of like, you could just represent ownership of things in this room. You could also just say, there's only one of this particular book. And the moment that we created a token, we, we actually did it, if I remember correctly. I said, Mike, I'm going to spin it up right now. This token can be redeemed for a book. That pure concept is still intrinsically the core of what we refer to today as NFTs. The early discourse around the utility of this, of this, this what, I, what I was going to argue here is that what we have here is not a clear property rights, establishment of property rights, but a LARP. Of property rights and let me let me expand on that larp being live action role-playing game if you guys have ever had the the joy of running across a bunch of teenagers in the park that are just like pointing sticks at each other and saying fireball <laughs> it's 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 i've always just been philosophically like really intrigued by the larp the larp suggests that if you and i are inside of this game and i say fireball you have some mechanism by which you might say I have just been injured by your fireball, 15 hit points, you know, worth of damage. Now, for someone standing outside of our little magical LARP circle, what the fuck are those two guys on about? But what's important is that it's internally consistent. As long as there's some game, some structure, some tool that you and I can kind of agree about. An old school interpretation here is like, you don't really own that JPEG, right? There's not like a legal agreement. You haven't, in, in the case of many of these NFTs, like the Dune project, remember, we I think we might have talked we about did. that briefly, yep. right? So, you know, the, a lot of these NFT enthusiasts, uh, enthusiasts are confused, in fact. They're not actually getting normal property rights as ascribed by the U.S. court systems. 
they have LARPed into something that just simply says, if you believe that blockchain signatures can relate to a, here, here's what it is, a mechanical sense of control, a, a key in this case, a private key that is necessary to move, and it's, and it's sort of the metaphor of move or transfer of ownership. If I have the mechanical power to affect that, that's where I get my ownership, LARP. The idea of the LARP as the analogy is good because it, it invokes this idea of almost magic, like in the sense of the fireball. Yeah. That magic that is that only exists between the agreement that you and I have that you are magic and you are harming me with your magic, right? Yes, right. This idea translated to ownership of JPEGs. Yes. Equally silly and equally real to everyone involved in it, depending on if you're inside or outside. But... I would argue you could say the same thing about money. It's just that that's a LARP that we've all bought into. It's simply an agreement of value. Where should I assume that everyone's level of sophistication is listening? At this point, many episodes in, the DAO, certainly members of the DAO, we all feel pretty comfortable of saying what this stuff is. It's been covered on you know major press outlets. So let's skip over the 101. I think there's some fun sort of philosophic premises inside of it. But without trying to argue strongly necessarily yet for NFTs are good or it's a useful bit of tooling to build a new economy, this all this kind of grand principles, it is in practice a way to exchange a digital object and to put a price on it, to build a market that is kind of built into the object. I think that's the thing that has caused it to be such a runaway financial success. You get Saw the Bees and the painting bolted in to a singular thing. Our good buddy Leif, my co-founder in Chroma, said that it's possible that Ponzi's are like the only real human invention. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, um, what we have here and the thing that a lot of like people that are more politically left get grossed out by this stuff because they see it as rampant financialization. When you're buying and selling NFTs, a lot of times you're looking at a chart of prices and it looks a lot like a stock chart. Financialization and kind of like you know, the idea of software eating the world kind of feel like the same thing. Like once you attach numbers to something, you've kind of inherently given it the ability to have a value. A lot of software you could design to truly attempt to avoid financialization. And I know a lot of people that do that. I mean, a lot of open source movements have been more in the way of just like public utility. Software is running like water. Um, why does money have to come into this? But I'm just saying once you've digitized it, you've turned it into numbers, it's very easy to go one more step and say, once you have numbers, you have money. I I will agree with you. I just would make that really philosophic distinction that it's not intrinsically financial. Software is not intrinsically financial. You can do pure art, but inside of the, the, the container of the various forms of expression that the medium might express. It's such, there's a German term. I, I, I probably can't, it's, it's basically the sort of like Uber media. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a contemplation that there would be some media form that would exceed and swallow all the others. And in, sen- in a sense, I mean, it was a mid 20th century sort of critical theory idea. Software has kind of formed that function. Is it a, is it a book? Is it a movie? Is it a, something new? It's, it's just, it's such a, from a McLuhan media theory perspective, it's so much of everything. It's hard to pin down. But here again, yeah, I think blockchain software is commonly various forms of securitization and financialization of stuff that we were previously doing without that. 
And that has obviously caused a lot of people who resist those those ideologies, essentially finance as an ideology, causes people to think, hold on a second, the more this stuff spreads, the deeper into capitalism's throes that we are committing ourselves to. As a publicly traded person, I can say there are pros and cons to the financialization of everything. Absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely willing to admit that. Absolutely. 14% of Americans have a crypto wallet. But if you slice age 30 and younger, and then you slice for men, 44%. It's a crazy number. Crazy number. Go down to the supermarket and pick out. and say, There's a nearly coin flip chance that that guy's got a crypto wallet on him. And primarily, you know, it's over the past 18 months. And a lot or most of that has been around NFTs. So back to the conjecture here, which is that you've got here with the images. Now, did those guys also collect art? Were they going to gallery openings? Not, not in those numbers. Absolutely not. You could say that the medium brought down to an accessible level the kinds of things that we were doing when we were collecting visual art paintings and going to shishi galleries and stuff. It's made it so that you can work at Best Buy and just spend some of your paycheck and get in on this stuff. But there's one more twist I want to kind of throw out here. First, again, when you buy one of these images, you might start off naively. I like this, right? A lot of this stuff happening like on the Tezos chain. Hick et nunc, such a cool project. So a lot of those images, it was like especially accessible. I mean, you could break out 30 bucks and like have a really cool, you know, also motion, you know, a lot of 3D and a lot of stuff that just couldn't do on canvas, right? Now, the funny thing is the moment that you've got that sitting in your wallet, you have a new set of verbs available to you, which are like, would you like to list this for a price? So the moment it occurs to you like, well, wait a minute, I spent 30 bucks. Someone might swoop through and be like, hey, buddy, I'll give you 50. It's just this like playground. If you ever traded baseball cards or Pokemon cards or Marvel cards in a playground environment, it's that writ large across the network. It's very quick to sort of think, wait a minute, if I'm smart here, I'll start using my cultural sensibility to not just think, what do I like and what do I want in my wallet? This is where the, the whole phenomenon really activates. You, th you start thinking, I'm actually trying to make predictions about the future. Future of what? Future of what other people will think is cool. And so in the same way that a, a stock market day trader is trying to make predictions about the behavior of mostly big corporations, right? And that's that's the core talent. And you're also doing a meta thing, which is not just what will the company do? Will it be more profitable or less profitable? Also, what will other people think about that? So what will other people think about these images? And here's the thing. The game of trading is fun. It's a game. But the medium of corporate profits has not been super engaging to especially young people. I would argue that the financialization aspect of NFTs, it has enabled people to trade upon culture. And that is a prospect that appeals to not everybody, but any sort of slightly arty liberal arts, or for that matter, hype beast, or anybody that's got a deep interest in all of these like cultural things, language, visual, music, games, design, all that stuff. The ability to kind of display your knowledge by making informed bets and putting your money where your mouth is, it's a game, but it's a game where there's money involved. There's this aspect that where you're buying into these projects and you're sort of like, you get to support the artist, but you're also, you're like playing the ponies. You're hoping that this artist that you support, is this project is the one that takes off and is a runaway success. Even more so than ponies, it's imagine that you could really do something to help that horse. And in this case, you can. Because what does every sort of modern media artist need? Attention. And your fan base can, can actually generate that and for that, you. I think that aspect of it is where the critique of the Ponzi scheme comes from. It's yes. the idea that I love this thing. 
I want to share it with you, but you have to buy into it or you can buy into it. Yeah. And that does have that element of like, oh, how long can that go for until it falls apart? But we see that with every other form of culture that we're into as well, right? Like, I'm going to tell you, you definitely have to watch this TV show. Do you have a Peacock Plus account? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. am I Ponziing Netflix or music or, a, you know, or something like that? So basically, again, the thesis here that we're just kind of driving at is that I don't know if this is meant to actually be a counter to the critique, the NFT critique, peeling apart a couple objections, right? People say, well, the environmental impact, Bitcoin's environmental impact, terrible. And Ethereum's current environmental impact, also not good. However, these technologies don't need that form of environmental waste. And the, go the cool ones are moving towards being no more computationally expensive than what we do on Twitter. That objection we should pay attention to and we should hold those projects but you know, to, to task, but assume that they all get basically like computer stuff. Then, then what's the problem, right? So I am not someone that trades a lot of NFTs. It actually, it's just as an individual, it's not hugely me. But rather than sniff and frown at these kids that are doing it, there's some fundamentally bigger picture liberatory stuff here that I think is happening and they're helping it happen. And I want us to see not just is this tech just trading cartoons or are there some bigger picture stuff? And, and there certainly are. What does it mean when someone says that NFT is a file extension? When you take a regular text document and name it, for instance, .txt, well, that can be opened by a certain program have certain visual display and different functions within your operating system. If you stop and just take that same text file and name it HTML, it's become something functionally different. It operates in a different manner. There are different software capacities that are events just by naming the file in that way. NFTs are not, it's if you called them like, oh, NFTs are necessarily expensive JPEGs, you, you, you didn't describe it properly. Describing it as a file format is it attempts to draw a boundary around the total potential software expression that that tech can can deliver. I've read some descriptions of developers being incredibly excited about the idea of the entity from a purely technical level, like what it does in the world of software being a, a wildly unique thing. One of my favorite thinkers on this topic is a man named Vinay Gupta. Please look him up. At Leashless on Twitter, he's also the founder of a project called Materium. Vinay is both a huge humanitarian uh, he cares deeply and works. Most of his labor is in service of what he thinks of pending climate crisis. I mean, he's like intensely lefty guy. Very pragmatist, though. And he's making NFTs. Well, Vinay, what are you doing over there? He believes that this coming system can be used to handle a couple of, you know, basic social objectives. One, to add intelligence to the products that we buy. If you have an object whose sense of ownership has gone through these other newer channels, you could do things like, where does this come from? What's the labor agreements that produced this? What's the carbon impact of this object? And when it's done, how quickly can I resell it to someone in my neighborhood that needs it? Right now, the encumbrance to accomplish all of those things, it's not being done by via the traditional routes for property systems, legal systems, and even the mercantile bit, relying on eBay for everything. I believe NFTs can morph into those those sort of fixes for those social problems. Not whole cloth, but it can help. Let's shift away from the defensive stance, because I think you and I are beyond that. I think most of the listeners, although definitely not all, hello, Greg, are bought into the idea that NFTs are a thing. They're in on the LARP. And if you're not, I think it's fine. You can just not participate. Sure. Right? Like sure. Th that's always an option. We have, we bought a few. 
we have two right now, correct? The DAO, yeah. yep, collectively, the DAO so, has two. Yeah, so we're experimenting with NFTs as a store of value, not a store of value, but it's like as an investment. Um, we've also kind of copped the fact that we don't like aesthetically love the turtle. <laughs> also, we're going to get, we're taking a bath on the turtle if we're not careful here. Quick aside, I think it's time to unload that thing. And and we've discussed it before, but I... Oh, you want to buy high and sell low? I think we great, need to. Great thesis. Marcus. I think we need to cut our losses on the turtle. That's anyway, a vote. Well, I I, it's definitely a vote. <laughs> anyway, moving on. We've also done now, now the other, you know, Tezos chain proposal. We didn't hear a huge financial pitch there. Like, well, the artist and here's their previous work. It was just like, hey, this is cool. It looks good and probably intrinsically will be worth something because if everyone else agrees that it looks cool, it'll 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 work. Hey, by the way, so again, apparently we did not know this when we purchased our uh, our Tezos chain NFT, but it turns out that artist is in fact in the gallery circuit and is showing work in Los Angeles. So let me plug this event really quick. Part of a group show called Save Art Space Cosmic Shift on view April 25th to May 22nd at the GABA Gallery on Beverly Boulevard. The opening reception is April 30th. We should get a little egg crew together and go roll up and represent, see what's up. Isn't that the day of our community call? We could go right after. Imagine being a visual artist, putting some work out on like a blockchain marketplace at home, and then two months later having a group of people roll up in this weird kind of set and be like, we collectively own your work inside of a decentralized organization. <laughs> but the artist isn't going to find that weird. It's going to I be guess like, oh, not. that makes sense. You're a DAO. I get yeah, it. Yeah, I guess it depends on how deep in the stuff they are. Let's talk about some of the other fun things you can do with NFTs, because obviously there's this idea of the NFT is the membership card. And that to me is a really fun aspect of you can actually create allowances and open digital doors by holding some of these NFTs. Yeah, I so all of the NFTs we make at, at Chroma for customers we bake in a protocol called the unlock protocol. And it does exactly that. The keyword here is social gating. And that means you can use it the way you would a login and a password. We absolutely want egg membership cards in the form of NFTs. We've talked about this a little bit behind the scenes. I think certainly if you're listening and if you belong to the DAO, you're gonna eventually end up with a membership card. And then of course, this is a really great way of attracting new membership. Here's a couple ideas, and this is just a good way of just jamming on what NFTs can do. Now, right now, in order to technically be a member of the DAO, you got to cough up 500 USD, roughly. You have to have a personal relationship with us to All make that, that stuff. investment. Yeah, right. right? And, then, and then you get into the Discord. So we might consider core membership passes, which are cool, but we can also consider like kind of a light pass. Maybe you just want to hang out in the Discord, but you don't currently want to spend all that money. You're a listener, potentially a scout. So NFTs are a way for us to have a membership card that says, I belong here. Now, here's an interesting thing. Now, you might say, well, look, dude, why not? that's just what user accounts on Discord are for. Why do you need this separate thing? Let me explain something I find maybe most powerful about this whole thing. Patreon, for example, a lot of people put their whole art project into Patreon and all of a sudden you're at the whims of this one platform. Similarly, Discord, we're putting a lot of energy into Discord right now. Let's say one day it turns out the head of Discord is unmasked as a neo-Nazi <laughs> and we're swiftly uh, convinced that we're in the wrong place. If we don't have some system of accounts and identities that we own that isn't intermediated by anyone that could theoretically be unmasked, 
then we have to start over. Every time we move our community, it's like we're heading out into the deserts and waiting to find another settlement. But if everybody has their membership card, it can be done in one day because you've already got your password. And that password can work kind of anywhere you want. Movable castles, baby. Right, the way that we used to say collect email addresses because no matter what the platform, the protocol will exist throughout the internet. The open protocol for email exists. We now have an open protocol of membership. Here, you might say, okay, well, cool. So I guess you can, people can trade membership. And maybe we want to do that. Maybe that, that people think of that as being worth value. But let me point out something really important. You don't have to trade NFTs. That's what a lot of people do. But the financialization of these things was a secondary step. And it's what made them very popular. Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum, recently created this concept of something called a soulbound NFT. That's an NFT that cannot be transferred or sold. It's like basically bonded to you, the individual. And you think, well, why would you do that? That removes all the commercial value or changes the commercial. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's the idea. It is a tool that has not been fully explored. We could still continuously consider new things that this file extension could perform for us. And as a society, we're just barely cracking the surface. The future of this stuff is exciting because as adoption grows and it becomes easier to just kind of assume men under 30 are likely to have a crypto wallet um, and expanding from there. I know that I'm going to get some messages, hello Greg, about some issues of NFTs that I just want to bring up and get your response Let's to. do it. I, this is like a common like television interview kind of thing. Like, well, let me just read you some uh, questions from the crowd. <laughs> Top 10% of NFT traders perform 85% of all transactions. Art news headline from 2021 December. The idea being that it's this small group of people kind of like washing money back and forth, right? This critique that that there could be quite a lot of fraudulence underpinning the run up in price. I think 100% there is fraudulence. I think personally, this is why I say I don't trade a lot of this stuff. It is a dark forest in there. There's not SEC oversight. It's not clear how they would achieve that. And you don't know who you're trading with. They're not doxed individuals. Now, you actually could start to build strategies around people like, for instance, my wallet is associated with my first and last name. So in that sense, it would be harder to, to get away with, you know, if you just said, I'm just going to trade with known individuals. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a fair critique. Yeah, all sorts of chicanery. Frankly, anytime you've got a place like a market where money can be made, you've got less scrupulous people that are exploiting it, and it's a very exploitable attack surface. But on the other side, just that a small percentage of people have most of the activity, that's just a power law thing that is the case in a lot of communities. Uh, you could say similar things about YouTube views, if I'm not mistaken, right? So I don't think it's... The number itself you, you is You could definitely say the same thing about the stock market. Yeah, whales run quite a lot of cultural, social, financial activity. There are way fewer NFT owners than you think. According to a new report, roughly 360,000 individuals own nearly every single available non-fungible token. Nothing that we've said here suggests this is a broad phenomenon that you got to hop on this train, it's taken off, right? It's a hobbyist thing, for sure. It's a weird hobby. It is, again you know, regardless of how flawed, it's people financializing culture and people that are pretty technically enabled and have quite a lot of money to throw around. And I would imagine that a lot of it's being done to people that are previously crypto rich. Some of the crazy numbers involved suggest that as well. I'm not a trader either, though I have been dabbling in buying a little bit of things here and there. I don't find myself greatly affected or impacted by wild swings in trading or pricing or any of that. Um, I guess if I did, I'd be more concerned with some of these headlines. 
I had a good friend, photographer friend living in Los Angeles. She hit me up a month or two back and said, Marcus, I don't know what any of this is, but I feel like if I don't learn that I'm just going to like turn to dust and I'm going to be an old crone and the economy is going to take off without me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be like a second class. <laughs> so like we sat down and had a drink and said, look, if that can't be the, the reason why you get into this stuff. It is certainly untrue. You could continue to ignore it. And I think you're going to be okay. It's not enough of a broad cultural phenomenon that the inability to trade NFTs is not going to negatively affect your life. It's pretty niche. That said, it is such a powerful meme. The amount of traction and adoption of this phenomenon today, as on this day that we're speaking, prices may go up and down, probably down. We'll see winters ahead. It's not going anywhere. And it will only culturally increase over time. I'm making that call on the basis of what I know about human behavior and the current cultural philosophy of it. I think it will, we're still, as they say, we're still very early. I think this is the last conversation I ever want to have defending the idea of if it should exist, because that is also wildly outside of my control. It does exist, and I think it's fun. Basically sort of policing it morally from the edges it is increasingly a hobby, and I don't blame anybody. You know, it's again, it just it's like a political compass thing, and there's just certain parts on that chart where you're gonna hate this stuff. I would also say it doesn't have much effect. It's hard for those kinds of critiques to hit the 25 year old that's excited as hell about it. It's likely going to be sort of echo chambery, and I kind of agree with you, Mike. I don't. Uh, I've been doing blockchain stuff for a long time now. I don't publicly talk about it uh, until pretty recently because I knew that the majority of people that followed me, A, didn't know what the fuck it was, and B, if they did, might have some ideological critique about it, and I didn't want to continuously defend my weird little hobby and commercial endeavor. I have a theory that kind of comes from a compassionate place about people who are anti-crypto. Yeah, shoot, and I'd love to hear what that is. I think that it comes from a place unrecognized in the individual of fear around but what happens to money? Because I think what crypto represents, the idea that I can create my own money and you can create your own money and these things of value out of nothing and they can be so wildly valuable or vary in value so much that it it brings to mind when we look around us, we're like, wait, is everything going to become financialized in a way that undermines the value of like, I work, I get money, I pay rent, I buy food. I think it it quote unquote, disrupts money in people's minds. I think there's a fear around that. On the surface, the first wave of critique is this is silly. This isn't real. This is fake. But go back to every single technological innovation in any art form and the established court of guard always thought that this thing was silly and wasn't real, whether it was music or video or, you know, any new technology that comes in, anyone like... People playing acoustic hate electric, right? Sure. And, and people doing things in synthesizers. Pete Seeger yeah, yeah, like, and the Axe. Like over and over and over again. And now we think back and it's like, really, dude? You're beefing about electric guitars? David Lynch not wanting you to watch on your fucking phone. Anybody that I love and that has an open mind, shit, man. You know me. I'll sit around and talk for an hour about this or more. Hence the podcast you're listening yeah, to. Yeah, right that's now. how we hit it up. That's how we got here. The thing that I think that you've kind of opened up for me there is that while critiquing that something isn't real, there is maybe an unspoken underlying anxiety that not that it is fundamentally real, but that if enough people LARP into thinking it's real and what's attached to that is chaos and but it's a little unexamined. That's that feeling that your friend coming to you and being like, how do I get into this? I'm afraid I'm going to get left behind. Yes. 
it's it's a fear motivation as opposed to this enthusiastic, oh, I want to play in this space. Well, the other motivation is greed, right? Which powers so much of the adoption. People being, oh my God, I'm going to get in early and I'm just going to end it. You know, I, Lord knows I've, I've got friends, middle-class friends with academic parents that are millionaires now. That's so real and tangible. When that stuff happens, it, we've gone beyond the fairy tale of it. It's like, well, sure, it's fake, but bought a building, right? So like, for instance, that's, that, that's property, right? We have a lot of paranoid fantasies about what finance as an industry and culture do to common people. I'm extremely sympathetic with those takes. You know how deep this goes with me. I'm an informed person. I can kind of go deep on financial topics without engaging with it directly. I hate banks. I hate the institutions that have kind of subtly designed our reality are not all governmental. Many of them are private and public financial institutions. Those that are concerned primarily with finance, now to be clear, I'm not just sort of rampantly saying like finance is bad. Now I think finance is good. What does it do? Moves value over time. And that means that without finance, you'd have to be rich already to start something. And money tends to be necessary to engage labor. And so to get a, the power to have a group of people work on something is one of the most powerful things that we have in our society. Because of the financial situation that we're in under capitalism, you need money to do that. If we didn't have someone willing to front money for stuff, it would be necessarily like the children of oligarchs would make everything. Don Jr.'s book, Triggered, has just been released. And has the exclusive audiobook as read by Don Jr. himself. So I need the function to exist. However, we saw the internet show up and just decimate. The, the newspaper industry is probably about the 10th of the size that it was, right? All these forms of media. And what's interesting is that I still don't think people understand what this blockchain stuff is about to do because it has hardly begun. Even though it is a multi-trillion dollar industry, everyone is still sitting up on a perch thinking, well, yeah, but I mean, obviously like JP Morgan's okay, right? Are they? I think that's where the discomfort comes from is even if you ask that question, you're thinking maybe it's not okay. What if what happened to newspapers happens to banks? I think it will. How could you not see that? How but could you not see that? That's going to be great. It's going to be hard. Chaos. And it's going to be it's going to be something we have to figure out, but I'd yeah. rather work to figure it out and I'd rather it exist in many many small places than one big place. This tech has put more finance top of mind. And people think we're spreading finance, we're creating more finance. Or the other way of looking at it is that you are having finance done upon you, right? By your participation in these platforms, you are the product, right? This damn ad industry that has destroyed the web. And you didn't have to think about it because it was the venture capital bucks flowing over the public money. And now in order to break away from those systems, we're having to DIY the finance that we were previously kind of lazily relying upon. All that money was just flowing into the platform. And it's hard. We have to have these wallets and we have to engage oh, in these different yeah. oh my ways. Gosh. But and, and it seems like sometimes I just want to be like, can I just give you my privacy? Can I just take the easy sure. way out? You can only care about these systems for as gnarly as they are as products if you think they add up to something cool. And I would argue that greed alone isn't enough. You actually have to believe that there's some mythical premise to it. And I'll say that. Imagine coming into the LARP and not believing, but still trying to play the game. Mike, if I have a, a bumper sticker for this episode, it's that Web3 is a LARP. And I want to highlight, in my mind, there's a very big difference between 
crypto and Web3. I think those terms get used very interchangeably. And I see crypto as the technology aspect and Web3 is the culture. And I think regardless of what happens with the tech and as it changes over time, the thing that got me really excited was the explosion of the culture around all of this stuff, which did happen from NFTs and communities forming and social tokens, etc. I have to say, like, this has been newer for me because I've been sitting on, I've been a technologist in the space for years. I'm also someone that is like kind of arty and cultural, right? If you'll let me get away with that, right? I'm seeing the culture piece show up. And here's the thing is someone that was like, I've been like a startup guy. I've never enjoyed the culture of startups, like putting your startup shirt on and going to the damn conferences. I've hated it. I've been embarrassed. Like, I don't really want to be that. But I feel more culturally sort of seen or like I belong. There's just like weird, arty, hip also slightly more equitable things happening. Projects were like, they're like both a startup and they're just so conceptually weird. It's hard to believe they exist. The you know? conversation around things like DAOs is still, I go back to the idea that it's so like the grocery co-op conversation. It's hanging out with some of the nerdiest people talking about process. And if you have ever found that fun, these are your people. And if not, maybe just go trade some JPEGs. Do you remember the, the meetup that we used to have called Free Radicals, Mike? That was like at least 10 years ago. Anyway, yeah, we used to sit around and talk about like how horizontal can a group of people get, basically. Like, how could you run a company where no one was in charge? And such a pipe dream 10 years ago. There are today thousands of simultaneous experiments and horizontal management happening through this mechanism. You could say, well, you could just do that on a web forum. But people didn't. And like it or not, this tech, partly by being financialized, and there's a Ponzi mechanic behind it, and there's all these kind of dirty things, but we're doing it. This idea that I've heard is that Web3 is the car. It's powered essentially by crypto, which is the gas. But then you have these DAOs that are like trains and <laughs> like a transportation sure. metaphor where you're just like you're operating either in these like larger groups. You can also kind of exist on your own. But Ultimately, like for better or worse, crypto is powering the whole thing. The NFT exists as a primitive building block that is necessary for building out a lot of these wild, ambitious social organizations. Even though today it looks a little silly to see people spending a lot of money on the monkey. But if you keep exploring the further iterative possibilities of it, you know, as we've mentioned they will be seen, it's possible that we will stop using the word because it'll just become part of the core material of, of a lot of the building that, that lies yet ahead. Thanks for listening to Experimental Garden Group, the podcast, and or joining Experimental Garden Group, the DAO. If you need help navigating the world of DAOs, social tokens, or Web3, hit us up. Best way to get in touch is via DM on Twitter at x the letter X, Garden Group. Experimental Garden Group is hosted by me, Marcus Estes, and Mike Merrill, produced by Tom Carroll, and engineered by Shadow Band Incorporated. Thanks to our listeners and supporters, and we'll see you next time.